welcome to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. Hey, Jeremy. How are you doing this week? Good, mate. We are slowly creeping towards winter, I guess, as an update for those that aren't keeping up already. Yeah, below freezing this morning. Uh, yeah, It was? Yeah. yeah. I don't miss the East Coast or that hemisphere either. That's okay, but I got a brand new digital thermostat, so it warmed up before I woke up, which is good, so... Fun to play with that. Nice. Don't ever let CJ round your house. <laughs> Those who don't know CJ, Chris Johnson, who we worked together at Hyperfish and he was my manager when I was in marketing. Um, he runs the Microsoft Cloud Show with Andrew Connell. Uh, I had a party here and his leaving gift after the party at 2 a.m. was to spin past my nest and switch the heat from um, a crisp 70 degrees to I think the maximum is 102 Fahrenheit and my mother-in-law was staying at the house and she came up at 4am to knock on my door and ask why it was so hot in the house and I was like what's she complaining about now and then I put my feet on the wooden floor in my house and basically scolded my feet that's how hot the house was (laughs) so never let CJ in your house unless you have a pin lock on your thermostats or just go into all the digital devices after everyone leaves and make sure they reset right (laughs) (laughs) yeah double check Yeah, he got me good. He definitely got me good. Oh, that's great. Well, so uh, getting to more fun topics, we uh, haven't had a a sit down and gone through a a bunch of leaks in quite a while. So this is a great chance to do that. Uh, We'll start out with a session you found in the Ignite timeframe. Why don't you talk about this uh, uh, session uh, from Barnum Bora? Yeah, so um, Barnum is the lead for Microsoft Graph and Microsoft Teams in Dev Advocate. So um, you'll be familiar with people like Bob German and Aija Bass, who's been on the show. Well, they've both been on the show, Waldeck Mastercars and Dan Wallin, you know, they've all been on the show. And he's kind of leading up that group of Dev Advocates. And so at Ignite, he did a video with um, Simon Terrell from Live Tiles, which coincidentally is where CJ works as well. And Simon is the chief product officer there. And he talked to Barnum about how they're kind of all in on Microsoft 365 and um, specifically around kind of the evolution of, historically they plugged into SharePoint, but moving into the Microsoft Teams uh, environment and how they use the dev platform in Microsoft Teams. And the reason I bring this up is it's actually a really good video to hear how partners are implementing Microsoft 365. Um, And I'm a bit biased because I live in that world now of focus kind of squarely on partner success but it it's unfortunately one of those videos that's kind of a bit buried i've kind of raised this in previous podcasts where like ignite had a session builder and a backpack and a hub and something else and this was definitely one of the ones that fell through the cracks so i just wanted to call that one out because um it's a really good video and um, barnum is awesome i'm you know meeting with him frequently at the moment as we're kind of building how we're going to work together around kind of graph community and all the docs and developer experience and how we work with partners so um cool dude in australia definitely worth a listen if you like the accents because both of them are aussies it made me feel like I was back at home watching that video as well, I guess. Yeah, I hadn't seen that one, of course, so like you. I struggled a bit with the location of sessions, so I certainly uh, bookmarked this and uh, we'll take a listen. So looking forward to that. Yeah, I like the idea of the commentary from a partner as well, talking about their stuff. I was just literally got off a call with Yina um, and Jen, who's working with me on the partner stuff in our group. You know, like how we inspire our own 
engineers internally to see like what people are doing with the products they work on day in and day out. And quite frankly, when you see these like two minute videos, like in keynotes or in the interstitials, as they call them at Ignite, um, it is really cool to see, you know, what like magic software did with these uh, Symphony Orchestra and, you know, uh, Jeff Tipper actually just posted a uh, blog post around um, Instructure who do like LMS type scenarios on top of Microsoft Teams, which is like a huge consumer of the Microsoft Graph too. Seeing those kind of videos and stories of how like normal people are impacted by ISVs building on top of M365 is I think is the best way to do it. You know, I can talk all day long about app user pair growth and percentages of growth, but seeing the stories told by the partners or even by the customer using it is really why we do this day to day. Yeah, I look forward to hearing that. That's great. But uh, speaking of the developer advocates, I have a blog post from one, uh, one of the newest ones. Ooh, what a segue. What a segue for... Waldeck Mastercars, uh, who is uh, my favorite developer ever, has joined that group, and he authored a page on docs.microsoft.com, which I, I'm guessing you probably would have been on his blog six months ago, <laughs> but it's titled Build a Me Experience on Microsoft Teams. Uh, a, a typical um, developer moving to a new role, he's got these great ideas, but no code. This is just a, a, a discussion of a couple different ways you can have a personalized me page inside Microsoft Teams for folks. And he discusses the options of just using out-of-the-box pinning stuff versus building versus combination of two. So it's nice to see him lay out all the different choices of things that you could do, really kind of exposing people to what's the what's capable, right, that you can do inside of Teams. So great to see that. Um, and on a funny note, in on the Twitters, I saw someone replied with the, the Outlook homepage from uh, 2008 that, <laughs> that would uh, address the same kind of things. But uh, it's a great article from Waldeck, and good to see him get up to speed in that new role. We all come full circle, right? Like my homepage in Edge, which I think it encourages to do on intranets now if you sign up with your corporate account, is office.com because you know it shows me all the documents i've recently worked on as like a launch pad and um, it shows me documents that have been shared with me and documents that people are discussing and obviously all that's powered by the graph too which is cool um so anything in that portal type what like personalized portal i find is super useful for me in the morning is just to kind of catch up and i would like to be able to tailor my own like i'd like to be able to have my to-do tasks on there and um you know other bits and pieces but yeah it does feel like We've gone back 10 years to Outlook 2006 <laughs> or whatever the year product was at that point. Good ideas uh, always stick around. And, and on the edge, my, my homepage is the new tab page, which is yeah. the, the office.com data, but I still get the picture. <laughs> I can yeah, still click and see the picture. I, yeah. I think it's a derivative. It's like the similar thing. Um, but yeah, it's, you get the, the, it looks nicer. Yeah, yeah. And our data. Um, next thing I found uh, near and dear to my heart, Microsoft.identity.web is now generally available. I did and see this. This is the missing piece for web developers trying to use Microsoft's identity platform. We have MSAL to get tokens. We have um, all kinds of fun stuff that we can look at. But what they've done is bridge the gap between the ASP.NET or .NET Core dependency injection with the stuff you need for getting a token and they've even got some hooks into the graph sdk and so this is really going to help you to just in my services method you know use 
Microsoft identity and boom, everything just works. So good to see this library finally getting GA. Yeah, I mean, that was another great example of um, originally this was copy and paste code and it was like hundreds of lines of code into your project um, and we got tons of feedback from you, Paul, um, and lots yeah. of other partners and customers <laughs> as well. That, you know, this seems really flaky that we're pulling in, cutting and pasting code in from a, a sample project. You know, this should really be something that's versioned and packaged. And so um, we took that feedback back and um, to their credit, they turned this around really quick, which was great. I, I will say I'm a little, I'm a little not in favor of the dot use something black magic that happens in code. So I, any new developers or junior developers in the world, I would strongly encourage you to press F12 and, and look at the definition of what that method is doing for you. But it's nice to know that, you know, for if you're experienced or if you, you know, that fits into your use case, you know what's going on and you can just do it. So point and click. Perfect. Yeah, I mean, the, the simpler we can make that stuff, the better. And, you know, there are other platforms like Google where it's like one line of code to do everything for every platform. And so, you know, um, our world in Microsoft's a bit more complicated because of the amount of different scenarios we have and, you know, supporting different environments and hybrid environments and different types of users that, um, you know, the identity library has to be more complex, but, you know, for the 80% of people that just want it simple, like don't ever hit those edge cases, you know, I, we push back a lot on that group to make sure that it's as streamlined as possible. Yeah. And to be fair to your point, the comparing to Google, I don't think is, is, does justice to Microsoft because you've got right. thirty years of of code, including you know, right? think of That's think of right. ASP.NET authentication that happened back in the day with the you know the old for web forms. All that there's a lot of code that has to be brought forward and modernized, and and this library helps. And in fact, in the blog post, they have a picture of of the stuff that's produced by the dev div and stuff that's produced by the identity division, and there's stuff that the customers write. And so this, yeah, the the, the there's a lot here, and it all works and includes everything that you'd expect out of the, the platform, B, B2C and conditional access and MFA and everything. So it's been interesting with um, Glenn Block being a peer of mine now um, that, you know, is known for his days in the .NET group and, you know, driving the, the demise of WCF to web API and some of the stories he's told in meetings we've been in around .NET and decisions that were made. And it's quite fascinating how, complicated those problems are and the fact that there's a lot of people in dotnet world that have been there for a long time is actually really good because otherwise if that team was like you know churning every two or three years and people well we can just nuke that and no one was there to go oh but hang on a minute what about this scenario or that scenario or oh you can't do that and you see this in other product groups at microsoft where that churn does happen and those kind of decisions happen without understanding the history and understanding those things. And so, yeah, the .NET, in my opinion, does a good job there. Um, moving on to uh, another Microsoft Graph blog post, the advanced queries for directory objects are now available. And I think we might have touched a little bit on this before, but again, it's noteworthy because what this allows is dollar count or dollar filter <laughs> on items in the, the directory. And so this will certainly help with uh, optimizing our code instead of having to read everything 
So nice to see uh, some more advanced features getting in here. And uh, I'm going to put you on a spot here, right? So is, is there a concerted effort to get teams <laughs> to, to support all these OData properties if they don't already? Do you know, th this was interesting. This was a specific call out from my new sister team. Um, so Morgan Webb runs the identity uh, customer and partner success group. Um, whereas I run like the the graph side of, you know, basically everything in our E&D org, or as he owned the identity side of it. And this actually came from a feature request from a significant amount of partners and was also um, an issue for us with COGS because people were having to walk the tree to get that count number. I'm um, sorry, COGS is cost of the service. And so this one was kind of an easy sell to engineering to go get done because it does make a significant difference to the amount of calls that are happening. There is a constant push to all workloads to have a min bar of what OData query support there is, you know, when things get released in beta or get released in V1. And Daryl Miller is one of the API architects that that drives the API reviews that kind of sets that bar. I think it's like seven or eight API reviewers in, in total. And the big thing that we're trying to do is, as you say, like one, have a bar of you, you shall not ship without stuff. And we, you know, there's been cases where we ship delegated or flow without application or flow, but there are also cases where like count hasn't been done or search hasn't been done or filter isn't done for particular properties because in the backend databases, the indexes aren't on those fields because they're too expensive to have on them. But the, the reason to go full circle, the reason this is all really, really apparent is we're in the process of having each team decorate their API um, definitions to say what is and isn't supported. And then we're actually going to be able to put that in our documentation. So it's not like trial and error when you're kind of poking around. And then the other benefit of this is we're also working on auto suggest in Graph Explorer. So as you start typing things out, you'll be able to see exactly what is and isn't supported, even in the query parameter aspect of the API call, which is going to make things a lot easier too. So we're trying to do it in a smart way, but um, you know, each engineering group has different priorities and um, not all of it is API as a priority. Like a lot of these PMs we work with own user experience as well as the API. And so a lot of the time their engineering groups are focused more on the user experience than the, the API <laughs> itself. And even my dog has an opinion about that. You know, the other interesting thing about this is in the dot, my .NET experience, right? The, the whole link capabilities added into uh, an I enumerable in, in the .NET framework are really designed for this where I could, in my code, I could just say, do a count or do a, a filter and the system would figure it out when it would call, it would either translate it to something the backend service like SQL could do, or it would just download it and do the sorting and filtering on the client. And no one really thought that was a problem until now all of a sudden the servers, you're hosting a service by, you know, run by millions and millions of calls an hour or whatever the number is. Now suddenly it becomes a requirement. So the, the, it's fascinating to see how the industry has moved on that, but I'm glad that someone's looking after the shop for us. So it's good, good to hear. I really wish I could share some more numbers, um, but I would get told off and there's all sorts of regulations why I can't, but there's some dashboards I'm looking at the moment to look at who our top ISVs are and you know how many users they have using their apps that are calling Graph underneath. And 
it is actually quite terrifying. Um, the amount of calls <laughs> that happen on the service, it's just the numbers are mind blowing. So it, that for me is like one of the reasons I always wanted to work at Microsoft was to work on stuff that has this much impact across that many users that are you know using our products all the time. And it's exciting to see some of these partners um, you know, get the mail that they get. It's just incredible how broad a reach of customers they're hitting. Um, so there's, you know, what my team specifically looking at now is how we help other partners get to those types of numbers. This blog post also, um, which was great, shows using um, the Microsoft Graph PowerShell libraries, which Daryl Miller was the, the architect and PM on. Um, and we just this week have a new um, PM, Rowena, who's going to be the SDK PM um, taking over from Daryl on the day-to-day of that. So I'm really excited to see, you know, how much change she can make with being dedicated just to the SDKs here because Daryl was juggling a lot of fireballs. Um, and I'm, I'm really surprised he's managed to land as much SDK stuff as well as doing the rest of the roles he does. But the interesting thing with it is you can get at a lot of information in PowerShell. And I just came out of a meeting this morning where Daryl was demoing the CLI as well, which we showcased in the community call this month. Um, So you don't have to use PowerShell if you're in Linux and want to just pull a CLI, you can you can do that too. And the syntax is a little bit different in the CLI to PowerShell. Um, I probably won't ever invest any time working it out because learning PowerShell was hard <laughs> enough. I can barely use a pipe select statement. I think I'm still quicker in .NET than I am in PowerShell for getting that type of information through. But yeah, it was just a really good example of how you can quickly get at like lists of users with the particular fields that you're interested in. And, you know, I remember working with IT admins a long time ago where like this kind of information was super, super hard to get at, um, you know, in command line. And now it's just all there all through the graph, which is great. Yeah. And uh, so if you go back to last week's episode, uh, the interview with Marcus Muller, our intro there, we talked about the graph SDK and we have a link to the, um, to the, uh, the tech community blog post about that. And then we'll get a link to the community call that you referenced in, in the show notes for this week. So that was a, it was great to watch that. And I'm with, I'm with you. I was watching him do that CLI and I'm like, <laughs> holy cow, I'm not going to, I'm never going to learn that stuff. I, I'll just use what I love, what I know already. Yeah. Something about old dogs and new tricks, right? Um, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> Um, next on our list is uh, an item that you found, which is, I love it. It's uh, identity related. Lee, Lee Ford has a blog post about using the graph API JavaScript SDK with app permissions. Boy, that's a mouthful. So if you have spent any time poking around the SDK, you will see the JavaScript SDKs in general when it comes to identity generally use the implicit flow. And if you listen to Vittorio's podcast, you would have learned that the implicit flow is being phased out or deprecated in favor of a PKCE, which is a client credential in the browser. But anyways, I I digress. One of the gaps was that if I'm using JavaScript in Node on the server and I want to do client credentials, which is perfectly valid because I can protect that secret on my server, the SDK, the JavaScript SDK really didn't handle that. It was kind of a punt that said, you have to do your own provider if you can do that. And that's what Lee did. So there's this blog post. We'll go through the steps that Lee did about generating an application registration, including the client credentials that you would need to do that that kind of flow, and then uses a a JavaScript in Node auth provider to actually get that and run and work with the SDK. So uh, thanks, Lee, for doing that. And um, great to see uh, uh, people filling in the gaps where, uh, where Microsoft hasn't gotten there yet. 
Yeah, Lee, Lee does great stuff. I, I started following him, I think before he was an MVP, actually. Um, he was on my RSS feeds. And, you know, it's great when you see this kind of work. And, you know, it's something that 15 years ago when I was blogging in Australia, I would just document what I learned that wasn't clear in docs and, and so forth or wasn't there at all. And um, it's great to see new faces. Well, in this case, Lee's not new to this community, but it's just great to see people sharing in this way because um, it, it really helps people out. And it, it does bring up a good point that our getting started experiences that uh, Jason Johnson on our team owns is very focused around interactive flows with signing in as a user as opposed to kind of these application or flows or app only as you know often people call them because you know there are lots of times where we get asked this question of like what's the right way to do this and how do we handle the tokens and different things and so funnily enough like i don't know when this was posted it was actually posted 10 days ago i was clicking through my rss but i came out of a meeting yesterday where we were saying that you know that's the next thing we need to go do in the devx land is go do those app only flows and um even things like um you know planner apis and to do apis do not support application or flows there and you only support delegated. We know there's a bunch of partners out there that are, you know, using a delegated flow with a, in air quotes, service account, user account to access the APIs in a background process. And we should really document that until we get that team to go fix it and have an application Orthlow approach. And so we, you know, it's good to see this kind of stuff happening. It kind of validates where we need to prioritize, you know, not just to do it in Node, but across all the languages. Agreed. And I would point out this client credentials or confidential client, to use the, the right term, also lights up the on behalf of flow, which is probably more important than app only, right? If, mm -hmm. And for the folks new to the space, that would let me prove a web page where Jeremy could click a button to grant permission and I can store a refresh token that says, hey, I'm doing this on behalf of Jeremy. And I can run that in my function app or somewhere where Jeremy isn't in a headless system. So client credentials also solves that problem. And I don't blame Microsoft for focusing on the interactive auth. It's probably the vast majority of folks doing it. But now that that's up and running, moving around is great. So again, thanks to Lee for doing that and look forward to the stuff coming out of the team on that. Uh, the, the last thing I found this week is not necessarily Microsoft 365 related, but um, Tom Kirkhove, who was an MVP in the Azure space, so I don't know what his official title is, but he has this blog post. It's building on an Ignite announcement that would let you take the code that runs the Azure Logic apps and run it in your own containers. Oh, I didn't even know about this. This is cool. Yeah, so I can't really speak to how it works. I don't use containers, but the I think the idea here, what I want, the reason I, I highlighted this is because wow. thinking through your applications as you're building things, you never know where it'll end up, right? You'll never know mm -hmm. who's going to want to try to do something, or or containers obviously would light up like an IoT type of thing, right? Is is my understanding. So you can imagine or disconnected scenario and let it sync up. So great to see him go through a bunch of that pictures and diagrams and lots of thoughts about this and and go through this so thanks to tom for posting this but a fascinating read to see what's happening on the azure side what one of many things happening on the on the azure side lately and so uh i wanted to at least highlight that 
Yeah, that's really cool. I wonder whether that was on the back of them doing that for their own needs, but realizing that it would work for customers too. Because in the diagram of the blog post, they even have it like, as an example, Azure Functions and Logic Apps running in AWS or Google Cloud as well. So, Or, or uh, what is it? Azure Orbital, right? <laughs> you right. can imagine running a, running a Logic App in space, right? <laughs> yeah, nice bandwidth right there. <laughs> well, I mean, it is 2020. Who knows what's left in store for us in November and December this year? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That the we truth? might all be floating around in space instead. So how far do coronavirus particles travel in, <laughs> yeah, in zero in gravity? Oh my goodness! Um, so that's what I that's what we found for this week. So nice to get a catch up up on the way here. Uh, a couple of guests lined up for the next couple of weeks. Um, looking forward to chatting about the stuff we got in the bin here. So uh, yeah, I'm really excited to learn a bit more about Azure Communication Services. Um, it's from a, another group within my CVPs org, which is all kind of backed by the team's calling service. We call it IC3 internally. And, you know, being able to use that in your own applications, which I think has got huge use cases in, you know, the healthcare industry and the retail industry. And uh, so I'm really looking forward to that interview next week. We haven't even recorded it next week. That's come, I think it's Tuesday next week. We're recording it. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, the, we, we tried to record that already and it kind of highlighted the one area that the Azure communications team has no control over. Sometimes the power just <laughs> doesn't work. <laughs> well, and he lives just around the corner from me and my lights were flickering like as I jumped into that call and then like he was like, oh, you're, you're experiencing that too because he could see on my webcam that all my lights in my house kept going on and off. And I was like, let's not record today. Let's not jinx it. And I also had someone of our neighbors in the windy storm cutting down a hundred foot tree. It would have probably been a little bit too noisy to record. <laughs> yeah, so that's on tap and then we'll look forward to chatting next week. Awesome. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at M365DevPodcast and check out our show notes at www.m365devpodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. That's all, folks. 